Unfortunately, there's an overgeneralization from the evidence of women being less likely to negotiate for higher pay for themselves than men to making the jump that women don't like to negotiate or aren't as good negotiators. That was Hannah Riley Bowles, and this is Busted, a podcast by the Institute for Gender and the Economy, otherwise known as GATE. On Busted, we bust prominent myths about gender and the economy by teaming up with leading experts, like Hannah, to chat about what the research says. Today's myth, da-da-da-da, women just don't like to negotiate. Let's get busting. I'm Dr. Sonia King, Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the University of Toronto, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Carmina Ravenera, Senior Research Associate at GATE, and my pronouns are she and her. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about negotiation. Negotiating is super important for both our personal and professional lives. At work, whether or not and how we negotiate can affect the kinds of roles we get into, our salaries, benefits, the types of assignments we work on, and so much more. Today, we're specifically talking about this idea that women would be able to close the gender wage gap and get into leadership and C-suite positions they want if they were better at negotiating, better at advocating for themselves and being assertive about what they want. And this kind of thinking has been around for a while, but it really took off and became super popular after Sheryl Sandberg published her book Lean In in 2013. Yeah, even if I knew nothing about this, that seems like quite a stretch to me, that we're just a few negotiations workshops away from closing gender gaps in the economy. It's obviously not that simple. Who did you talk to about this myth, and what did you learn from them? So I learned a couple of major points that I really want to make sure we get across in this episode. The first thing the experts I spoke to emphasized is that it's a huge oversimplification to say that negotiating more will really close gender gaps in pay or anything else. One of the experts I spoke with is Hannah Riley Bowles, and we heard from her at the top of this episode. She's the Roy E. Larson Senior Lecturer at the Harvard Kennedy School and the co-director of the Harvard Kennedy School Center for Public Leadership and Women in Public Policy Program. And she debunked this magical thinking right off the bat. There's actually one really important confusion that, and that is that, you know, if women just negotiated for higher pay, they would close the gender wage gap. And that's flawed in so many ways. But one of the most important ways in which that's flawed is that the gender wage gap is much better explained by gender differences in the types of jobs that men and women are in than by looking at how men and women are paid for the exact same work. Gender differences in pay for the exact same work tend to be relatively small, although there are spaces where you do see differentials that are important. The real gaps are a larger proportion of, say, the gender wage gap is explained when you look at the types of jobs in which full-time employed men and women are occupied. Men are dominate the highest paying jobs and the roles in which that women dominate uh, tend not to be as higher paid. Right. Gender inequality and the wage gap are caused by so many different factors especially the types of jobs that women and men tend to have. We've known for a long time now that work that's gender stereotyped as women's work, like care work, is less valued in society and ends up being compensated less or sometimes not at all. And negotiating isn't going to change that. 
Exactly. So let's just forget that idea. And the second thing the experts told me is that if women are not negotiating as much as men, it's not because they're just inherently less confident or they just don't want to ask. There's more going on than meets the eye. For example, I talked to Angelica Lee about what the research has to say about women and negotiating. Angelica is an assistant professor of management and organizations at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and has done some really interesting research on gender, race, and negotiation. Here's what she had to say. So on the surface, yes, research does um, support the idea that women initiate negotiations less than men. Um, There was a meta-analysis done in 2018, which is a scientific method where researchers collect uh, results from a lot of different studies that are on a similar topic or the same topic, and they aggregate up to see whether they can, that patterns emerge across multiple studies that you wouldn't be able to see from one or two papers. Um, And so what they found in this meta-analysis is that on average, uh, women do initiate negotiations less than men. Um, but this was qualified by a couple things. Um, so first, when the situation was less ambiguous, meaning that it was expected for people to negotiate, and this was kind of a well widely held conception that you, it was appropriate to negotiate in this environment, uh, the gender gap reduced. Um, and they also found that the gender gap was reduced was getting smaller um, over the years. Um, And so this meta-analysis had papers all the way back to 1960 up to, I think, about 2016. Um, And so what they saw was this trend of of women initiating negotiations less, um, becoming smaller and smaller over the years. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So Angelica says that some studies have shown that women may negotiate less, but that there are some qualifiers. When the context suggests that negotiation is normal, women are more likely to do it. And overall, women have also been negotiating more over the years. Why do we think that is? Well, Hannah says that backlash has a lot to do with it. So the best explanation that we have for why women are less likely to negotiate for higher pay as compared to men is that they run into more resistance when they do so. So the way we've measured that is in terms of what we call the social cost of negotiating. We look at, for instance, how willing you are to work with somebody, and then we randomly assign you to whether you see candidate who attempts to negotiate for higher pay or a candidate who lets the negotiation opportunity pass. And what we we look at is we ask them things like, well, how willing were you, would you be to work with this person? How much would you benefit from or enjoy working with this person? Would you like to have this person on your team? And so what we find, and other people have also replicated, is that there is a disinclination to work with women who self-advocate for higher pay um, as compared to women who don't. And that that difference tends to be smaller for men. But that's where it comes from. I mean, the the gender effects really come from the experience of resistance. I I talked about social resistance. That is like, I don't don't know if I want to work with this person. But then there's also forms of what you might call economic resistance or material resistance, where you attempt to negotiate and you just don't get as far. I mean, you just people aren't as open to what it is that you're asking for. And there's some evidence of that field surveys and things of men's and women's experiences attempting to negotiate for higher pay. So that's that's the main part of the story. It's not 
it's not coming from a, a lack of confidence or there, you know, there's early on, there was this idea, oh, for negotiation for women is like going to the dentist, negotiation for men is like playing a game. You know, I think that the over time, the evidence hasn't really borne that out, that it's really men and women are facing a different social situation, self-advocating, particularly for higher pay, and that that's what explains the difference. According to gender norms, women are expected to be nice, warm, and caring, and not demanding, and certainly not too confident in their own abilities and their worth. So if women go against those expectations by negotiating and advocating hard for themselves, they're perceived as less warm and are liked less, to the point that people might not want to work with them anymore. Yeah, and why would you negotiate if you know you're going to be penalized for it? You'd want to avoid that as much as possible, especially when we consider how women face many other barriers to getting ahead at work. So it makes complete sense that women would be hesitant to negotiate unless it's clear that it's acceptable for them to do so. They're acting risk aware, not risk averse. Absolutely. But Hannah also qualified that these findings are very much based on white heterosexual women and men, and we need to take a more intersectional approach. Part of the, when you just talk about men and women, you're very often just talking about really white, heteronormative, like well-educated, privileged classes of men and women. And there's growing research that I've done and others have done showing that men from historically marginalized groups encounter the same types of resistance that we've documented for, you know, quote unquote, women as compared to men. So again, that's another part of the myth, right? I mean, you're really talking about what, uh, what behaviors are allowed for privileged groups that people from less privileged groups may be more discouraged from engaging in. Of course, I wanted to dig into that more. So I asked Angelica about her research on gender, race, and negotiations. And interestingly, Angelica's work was motivated by some of Hannah's research. The paper that looked at women initiating negotiations was actually one of the fundamental papers that got me thinking about the intersection of race and gender in negotiations. And as I was reading this paper, it struck me that this idea that when a woman engages in negotiations, that she's violating uh, norms of feminine niceness, or she's going against norms of feminine niceness, just didn't mesh with my own experiences as a Black woman in the world. Um, More simply, when I read this paper, I had the immediate reaction of, well, wait, when I walk into a room, people's first reaction or thought about me um, is not, oh, she's going to be so nice. Maybe as they get to know me and and we talk more and I smile and do some things, people might then decide that I'm nice. But if you see me, I I show up at a negotiations table, you've never met me before, your first reaction is not going to be like, oh my gosh, this woman is going to be so nice. Um, And so what, and then reading more research about race, the intersection of race and gender and stereotypes about Black women in general, um, there has been research over the last you know, two decades that has shown that Black women in particular, that the stereotypes or expectations of Black women are very different than those of white women. So Black women are you know, stereotyped as being angry and more domineering, whereas white women are, are stereotyped as being more communal and nice things like that. Um, And so that got me wondering, well, for Black women, if they come into a negotiation, this idea that a Black woman would be violating norms of feminine niceness doesn't seem to hold. 
This is such an important insight. When we talk about gender differences in work or in the economy, researchers often don't look beyond just men and women. But as we talked about in an earlier episode on intersectionality, it's crucial to take an intersectional lens in research and understand how people of all genders and different social locations will have different experiences. So what did Angelica find? And so what we did in this paper is we actually looked at across three different studies, the negotiation outcomes of Black women, uh, white women, Black men, and white men. And what we found is that on average, Black women negotiators, uh, when when participants were paired up with a Black woman negotiator, uh, they actually provided her with better deals, better pricing um, than that of white women and Black men. Um, and so in our studies, what we found is that white or Black women were actually performing similarly to that of white men in terms of, you know, uh, Black women, you're presented with a Black woman negotiator, you're more likely to present her with a better deal and things like that. I think more generally, one of the uh, largest implications of our paper is just the fact that most of the research on gender in negotiations and, and research on this topic has, you know, been going on, as I mentioned earlier, for decades, there's a long tradition of research of studying the influence of gender on negotiation outcomes. Um, what our paper is, really does is it demonstrates that this this research doesn't really apply to all women. And in particular, um, the findings of this work doesn't apply to Black women and likely doesn't apply to other women of color. Um, and so more generally, there does become this question of the fact that, you know, if you think about negotiations, um, classes in business schools, um, or even books that have been written and, and, and trainings that are given um, to reduce the, the inequal gender inequalities in negotiations, well, a lot of that research and a lot of the tools and recommendations that people are given um, is really based on research that is primarily centered on white women you know, a practical implication for employees and for Black women in particular is the fact that um, when you walk into a negotiation, people are not going to be expecting you to be nice. Um, and so the barriers or the challenges that Black women may face are going to be different than those of white women. And so being aware of those, understanding that people are actually going to expect you to be a formidable negotiations opponent is important to know, right? Um, because then the, the, the challenges that Black women may face may be more so around people kind of putting up barriers to stop a Black woman from negotiating in the first place, right? So I, I believe that this negotiation opponent is going to be formidable, but I still don't really want to give you more. And so I, I kind of put up barriers to stop you negotiating in general or in the back end. I, you know, provide you with this better deal and you're actually able to be successful in the negotiation. But then there's a question of what are the consequences of that more long term um, as people you know, are interacting with you after the negotiation. So her research showed that Black women and men may have different outcomes when they negotiate compared to white women and men. And of course, that doesn't mean that Black women don't face tons of other disadvantages from this stereotyping, as Angelica mentions. But in general, it shows that we need more research about how people from different groups fare with negotiations. 
Hannah told me that there's a bunch of new and upcoming research on this topic. So we'll put some links in the show notes. Amazing. So we should caution that we can't understand women's and men's experiences with negotiation as all the same based on gender. It's really about what social roles are given more leeway to negotiate and more likely to be perceived as good at negotiating. So men of color might also be penalized for going against their social role expectations alongside white women. And other groups may be penalized too. Absolutely. Now, the third thing I want to point out to debunk this myth is that women do in fact negotiate a lot. And not all negotiation has to be about pay. Here's what Hannah said. If I can just go narrowly to the question of do women negotiate, uh, the most of the research that shows that effect is pretty circumscribed. It is uh, relates to self-advocacy as opposed to advocating for others. And um, and it tends to be, although it's not exclusively around pay. Unfortunately, there's an overgeneralization from the evidence of women being less likely to negotiate for higher pay for themselves than men to making the jump that women don't like to negotiate or aren't as good negotiators. So for instance, when we've done research on what do professionals, managers, executives negotiate at work to advance their careers, overwhelmingly men and women talk about negotiating their roles, overwhelmingly. And yes, on the margins, men are more likely to recount negotiating their job offers and their compensation in particular. And women, as compared to men, are more likely to uh, report negotiating for work flexibility to manage work-family conflicts. So what I'm hearing is that women aren't necessarily negotiating less. They're just negotiating for different things than men. And those things are often not talked about. Can we hear a bit more about what these issues might be? For sure. Hannah has done some really interesting analyses on different types of negotiations. Even just the word negotiation very often evokes in people uh, bargaining over money. And what's really important to my mind is to think about negotiation much more broadly, not just about dividing a pie, but coming up with solutions that meet both parties' interests. And once you start thinking more broadly about negotiation in those terms, and then you realize, let's get out of this uh, conventional notion of just bargaining over your job offer and thinking more broadly about, okay, how do you solve problems related to your career advancement on the role? There's just so many things that people are working through on a daily basis. The other thing is that they're, they're not these 10, 15, 20 minute simulations that we typically put people through in negotiation classrooms where you're just sitting across from somebody and you know all the issues and the options for resolving it. In a workplace environment, these negotiations go on for weeks or months or even years where you're talking to other people about what are the things that you would like to do. So we distinguish among asking negotiations as conversations over those standard things, your job offers, or in some organizations, for instance, it's typical to talk after three years about what's your next job assignment or something. And then bending negotiations as negotiations where, you know, what you want isn't standard. And so I'd like to do something that's novel or unusual or unprecedented. And then there are negotiations that are what we call shaping. So asking is asking for something standard for yourself. 
bending is asking for something non-standard or unconventional for yourself. Shaping is about saying, I want to, I want to change the work environment. I want to, I want us to do work differently. I've got an idea for a new business unit or a new set of a uh, new way of organizing or a new set of clients or organizational practices. We need to globalize. Those are shaping negotiations. What's super interesting here is that many of us don't think of negotiation in these broad and far-reaching ways. And her team also found that women actually engage in these different types of negotiations all the time. What's really important is when we went out and talked to men and women about their negotiations, in blind coding afterwards, we realized that women were reporting more bending negotiations than men, which is kind of really intuitive and doesn't fit with this idea that women don't negotiate. And we we dug a little bit deeper into what those negotiations were about. And they were about two things. One, as you might expect, uh, work family stuff. So a lot of these, particularly for senior women, they were getting to a level where people just hadn't been you know, the the people at their level hadn't been dealing with work family stuff. And so they were coming up with creative solutions like I will lead this unit, but I need to be remote uh, X weeks during uh, the year to take care of my dad or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The other place, though, which was super interesting, was women negotiating uh, non-traditional career paths. So, for instance, everybody who has led this unit has been an engineer. You don't I actually need your engineering training to lead the unit. And so someone might come up and say, listen, I'm not an engineer, but I've got, you know, uh, IT expertise that's relevant to the next stage of development of the unit. I've got cross-functional team experience. I know the business, you know, X, Y, Z, give me this opportunity, even though I don't exactly fit your model. And so um, those are really important ways in which uh, women negotiate not only to advance their own careers, but in many important ways to change the landscape of work to make it more gender inclusive. We can really see how the misconception of negotiations as just asking for more pay is leading to this idea that women don't ask enough. But according to the research, both women and men do a lot of different kinds of negotiation, whether it's to bend the way things are done at work, as Hannah says, or even to shape the organization to make it better for workers in general. Yeah, and it was inspiring to hear about her research showing that when some women are negotiating, they may be achieving outcomes for women who come after them. So we've covered a lot of different topics here. First, it's clear that gender inequality in workplaces or the gender wage gap isn't simply caused by women not negotiating enough. Second, If women don't want to negotiate, it's not because they just don't like negotiating. It's likely because they are risk aware. They know that they might be penalized for violating expectations about how they should act, so they avoid doing so. But women of color, as well as men of color and non-binary people, may face really different outcomes that we need to research more. And finally, people negotiate in a lot of different ways. Women may be less likely to ask for higher pay, but there are many other types of workplace negotiations, and women are involved in those all the time. Right. So a question that comes to mind for me here is, what might organizations do to reduce that unfair backlash to members of specific social groups who negotiate? And here's what Angelica had to say. Situational ambiguity 
has always been kind of found to be an important moderator of the effects in negotiations. So basically, when there are stronger cues that suggest that it is okay to negotiate here, then um, the barriers and inequities that tend to crop up um, are reduced in those situations, right? So for organizations, if they are, you know, making it more explicit that people can negotiate for uh, various packages or or employment or promotions, things like that, even resources, then it becomes more of an acceptable thing uh, for people to do. And so I think on both sides, kind of making the, the, the things that you can negotiate for more prominent and, and shared, right? Um, but I think the big challenge around all of this is that from an organizational standpoint, if they did this, this would mean that the employees would be able to you know, in general, their employees would be extracting more value um, from them, right? And so then it becomes a question of whether organizations would ever really do this. So if people don't know that they can negotiate or even that they're expected to negotiate, they're much less likely to do it, especially if they're from groups who may be anticipating backlash. To make things more fair, Organizations can let everyone know about negotiating norms, about what's up for discussion versus what's set in stone. At the same time, as Angelica said, maybe they're not super incentivized to do that if it means that they can prevent employees from getting more out of them. Yeah, that's why I also asked our experts about what employees should think about or do when they're negotiating. And obviously, we shouldn't put the onus on women and other marginalized groups to ensure that their organization is fair to them. But Hannah told me that since negotiation can be such a powerful thing that can bring about change, both in individuals' lives and structurally, it's important for employees to be able to do it. My research looking at how women negotiate within organizations, they're doing really important work uh, surfacing where the barriers are within organizations. And so I would love to really encourage work from the bottom up as well as the top down to encourage those negotiations for everyone to achieve their you know, professional aspirations and their work-life aspirations. And she told me about a helpful acronym that her team developed called SURE. You can find more details and resources from the Harvard Kennedy School by looking up the Negotiate Well case collection on the Harvard Kennedy School website. We'll put that link in our show notes. But basically, S stands for start with your goals. Think about what you want to achieve before you negotiate, not just money-wise, but also your work-life situation, your role ambitions, and so on. U means understand what you negotiate for. Are you asking for something standard? Are you bending, asking for something exceptional? Or are you shaping, trying to get people bought into making larger changes? Think about that and how the person you're negotiating with may need to, in turn, negotiate for your ask. R is reducing ambiguity. Understand what is negotiable and what knowledge you need to be effective in your negotiation. Also make it known what you aspire for. Finally, E is enhance your negotiation through relationships and enhance your relationships through negotiation. That means tapping your network for support and advocacy while also negotiating in a way that allows you to get what you want while maintaining those necessary relationships. Think about your negotiation as strategic and whether you're taking others' interests into account. Right. 
understanding what you're negotiating for, your goals, and what your justification is will be super helpful in those conversations, as well as understanding that negotiation can help not only the people doing the negotiating, but also others in an organization as well, including those from marginalized groups. So let's bust this myth that women don't negotiate once and for all. If someone was to say to me that women aren't getting ahead because they're just not negotiating, what should I tell them? I loved Angelica's suggestion for what she would say to bust this myth. If someone said to me, I was at a bar and someone was like, oh, you study gender and the workplace, well, women just aren't getting ahead because they aren't negotiating more. My response would probably be, well, would you go into a negotiation if you knew that people were going to treat you poorly and uh, you were going to be looked at as super demanding and this was going to impact the way your managers evaluated you and the projects you got and your promotion and job performance? You would think twice about doing this behavior as well, right? Um, and so I would challenge that person to, instead of looking at um, the quote-unquote woman as the problem, to think about uh, the the barriers that exist and all of the psychological things that stop, that lead people to treat a woman who rightfully comes and asks for more poorly. The myth bust, I guess, here is really not that women don't want to negotiate. It's that they avoid being treated badly. And who doesn't want to avoid being treated poorly? And remember that research still needs to investigate how different groups experience negotiation differently. In terms of debunking the myth that women's lack of negotiation is what leads to gender inequality in the workplace, here's what Hannah had to say. More broadly, I would say that the explanations for the gender gaps in pay and leadership or authority are much more complicated than asking for opportunities. I think asking for opportunities is a wonderful way and an important way for women to have agency in closing these gaps. But again, I, I think the, the the pay negotiation conversation needs to get sidelined relative to the conversation about roles and work-life balance. I mean, what the newest evidence on the gender wage gap shows is again, it's occupations but then a lot of those occupational differences are associated with the cost that women differentially pay for negotiating for more flexible work. And to add to this, women do negotiate, but it's often for different things than just asking for pay or asking for a different role. Negotiation can encompass many types of interactions, like changing how an organization works or even making it a fairer place to be. With that, Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode of Busted. Make sure to join us then. Until next time, happy myth busting. Hi everyone, it's Carmina here. If you found this episode informative, please rate and subscribe to Busted. The Institute for Gender and the Economy also has more interesting podcast series. You can find them at gendereconomy.org or by searching Institute for Gender and the Economy wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.